When Brittany Johnson was a kid in the 90s, she would play all day with her cousins. They even grew up on the same street. They'd have sleepovers and build Lego towers. They'd trade Pokemon cards and play pretend. We spent a lot of time playing out in the street till the streetlights went out, you know, playing Red Rover or hide-and-seek. Brittany's mom and dad created a loving and supportive home. They were able to provide for Brittany and her younger brother to make sure. We not only had our needs met, but we were able to get some of our wants met as well. Um, You know, we were spoiled kids, I feel like. But when Brittany was in the first grade, something startling happened. A moment that she still remembers more than 25 years later. I was in gymnastics, and I was six years old, and I remember I was jumping on the trampoline, and I had sudden, sharp flank pain. So, like, lower back, where your kidneys are. The pain was so intense that Brittany fell down on the trampoline. I'm six years old, so I started crying, and um, my mom came and got me. And we went home, and there was blood in my urine. Soon, Brittany and her family learned she was up against something deep within her body that they never saw coming. But that day was just the beginning of a series of painful revelations. I just remember being so angry for my parents because I couldn't believe that they had been deceived in such a monumental way. From Sony Music Entertainment and Three Uncanny Four Productions, this is Biohacked Family Secrets. I'm TJ Raphael. On today's show, how Brittany Johnson found herself at the center of a landmark legal battle that challenged a behemoth in the fertility industry. They lied to the Johnsons, and they knew damn well that was a lie. That's next. Stay with us. After six-year-old Brittany fell down in pain during gymnastics class, her parents were worried. They wasted no time taking her to a doctor. Brittany wasn't really sure what was going on. I mostly remember being confused. Doctors ordered a CAT scan. Brittany lay on the table as still as could be as the machine mapped her insides. The images revealed something troubling and surprising. This six-year-old child had cysts all over her kidneys. For a child to have a cyst, it was very telling. Um, So they knew pretty quickly that it was polycystic kidney disease. This was concerning on a few levels. Brittany's condition, officially known as autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease, or PKD for short, is a rare, life-threatening genetic condition. And PKD can cause all kinds of serious issues. Chronic pain, heart problems, brain aneurysms, and cysts on the kidneys. A typical kidney is about the size of a human fist. But 
for a person with PKD, a kidney that is filled with cysts can grow to the size of a football. Half of people with the condition experience kidney failure by age 50. Typically, symptoms first appear when a person is in their 30s or 40s, but this was not the case for Brittany. Getting diagnosed at six years old and having symptoms at six years old, usually that indicates that, you know, you're going to have more severe illness. Since PKD is genetic, it must have come from one of her biological parents. But her mom and dad were tested, and neither of them had it. After getting married in 1985, Brittany's mom and dad wanted to start a family. They tried for years to get pregnant, but nothing worked. So they went to a fertility clinic called California Cryobank for help. This method for conceiving... Um, there was a stigma attached to it. It wasn't, you know, as widely discussed as I feel like it is now. The societal shame around infertility seems to be something that Brittany's parents felt. They weren't going to tell anybody. They weren't even going to tell their parents. They weren't going to tell their doctors nothing that, that I was conceived this way. Brittany's parents weren't just keeping this secret from the people in their lives. On the eve of their third infertility procedure, her parents made a last-minute decision. So they mixed some of my dad's sperm with the donor's sperm, and um, that's, that's what they used. So it was kind of, you know, even though my dad's sperm alone hadn't worked previously, there was still the possibility that, you know, I might be his biological child. Sperm mixing was a practice in the baby business well into the 1990s. Just like Amber's mom and dad, Brittany's parents weren't sure who her biological father was. And it wasn't something they thought about much. After Brittany was born, they had their beautiful baby girl. Her dad was her dad. They were a happy family. But when Brittany was diagnosed with PKD, the truth came out. Brittany's biological father was indeed the anonymous sperm donor. Brittany's parents had no idea who this man was and no way to find out more about his health history because of a contract they signed with the clinic that guaranteed the donor's anonymity. With this agreement, his name, his age, his address, almost everything about him would forever remain unknown. To Brittany's parents, to her doctors, he was just a number donor 276. Learning that Brittany had inherited this serious genetic condition from this anonymous donor was devastating for her parents. There's a lot of love in our family, so there's a lot of guilt with this because they both feel like this is somehow their fault, that they... They chose this path, and I ended up getting hurt, and so they don't like to talk about it. Brittany's parents declined to speak with me for this show, but one could imagine that this was terrifying for them. Once Brittany's condition was revealed, it began to impact her day-to-day life. I do remember the times that I was pulled out of school for testing and then, you know, for follow-up stuff, um, because this is a lifelong condition that 
requires my attention and management. And so there's been a lot of um, a lot of hospital visits and and doctor visits. But in Santa Barbara, where Brittany grew up and still lives today, there was no children's kidney specialist. So she had to travel about two hours away to Los Angeles just for checkups. So being pulled out of school, I liked. That made me feel special, like, yay, I get to skip school. But I would get really afraid of, I mean, this is very common, but really scared of needles. And there was a lot of blood draws. And so my fear came from the possibility that they were going to stick a needle in me. And these visits with needles weren't always easy. Brittany remembers one appointment in particular. I don't know how old I was. I must have been like seven or eight. And I started screaming and crying. And I hid under a chair. And I didn't want anyone to touch me. And I'm sure my mom was so embarrassed. As her treatment for PKD continued, Brittany's mother told the pediatrician about using a sperm donor. And he told her that that she should press charges, that this was a lawsuit in the making if he had ever seen one, that this was, you know, grounds for legal action. Physicians don't usually recommend lawsuits, but Brittany's doctors felt so strongly about pursuing legal action because of something that happened a few years earlier when her parents decided to have another baby. They called California Cryobank and they asked for the same donor. And (laughs) whoever my mom spoke to, she said she was very chatty and she actually told my mom that he was unavailable and that the reason he was unavailable was because there were questions about his history and that he might have kidney disease. This was news to Brittany's parents. The clinic had told them that Brittany's donor had been properly screened. And at the time of that phone call, Brittany was just a toddler and wouldn't show signs of PKD for another few years. It's possible that her parents thought, well, maybe this chatty clinic worker has it wrong. Our daughter is happy and healthy. Yeah, they must have it wrong. She says that she kind of just buried it. You know, she she didn't really take it in, what this woman told her. They just ended up going with a different sperm donor, and that was that. But after six-year-old Brittany collapsed on the trampoline, the puzzle pieces started to come together, and that call took on new meaning. Her parents wondered, what did California Cryobank know about the donor's genetic history, and when did they know it? My parents, they weren't really sure how to handle it. These questions came up again and again as Brittany's mom and dad were dealing with every parent's worst nightmare. Managing a sick child with a lifelong condition, shuffling her through long drives back and forth from appointments, trying to comfort her as she was being poked and prodded. And they were worrying about her future, the possibility that their child may one day need a kidney transplant to survive. What California Cryobank did changed the entire trajectory of my life. Brittany's parents decided that someone needed to be held accountable. So the Johnsons decided to sue. Coming up, 
they screwed up and gave life to somebody with a disease that they basically built in. The David and Goliath battle between an industry powerhouse and a family with a sick child. That's next. Stick around. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. California Cryobank is a big deal in the fertility industry. They've been around since 1977 and are still one of the largest sperm banks in the world. Their parent company brought in more than $250 million last year. The clinic is an industry powerhouse and has long been thought of as the gold standard in sperm banking. So even back in the late 90s, when the Johnsons decided to sue California Cryobank, they knew they needed a lawyer who could go toe-to-toe with this behemoth of a company. Someone fearless. A lawyer who had been around the block and seen some things. I was ready to go to trial the day they came in to my office. Richard Farnell is the type of attorney you'd want on your side for just about any case. Well, I started off in the district attorney's office in Orange County. I I was there for 13 years. Farnell ran the DA's fraud division and eventually took on homicide and death penalty cases for the state of California. He even prosecuted the infamous serial killer Rodney Alcala, The so-called dating game killer who may have killed as many as 130 people across the country in Orange County jury. And in his private practice, Farnell represented 23 victims who had been abused by priests in the Catholic Church. He was used to tough cases. So when Brittany's parents walked into his office, Farnell thought this would be a walk in the park. It was a basic fraud case. And fraud is no more than lying to make money. Brittany's condition is typically transmitted genetically, and her mom didn't have it. So it appeared that her PKD came from the anonymous donor. Plus, her parents said the clinic had told them that the donor was properly screened and free of any genetic disorder. So Farnell thought, yeah, that's fraud. I didn't think the legal issues were that difficult. Farnell's team got to work. They filed suit against California Cryobank on behalf of the Johnsons. I was convinced we'd have no trouble going against Goliath. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. But if Farnell was going to win this case, he needed to prove that California Cryobank knew that the donor was a carrier for PKD before selling his sperm to Britney's parents. So... He asked the court to force California Cryobank to turn over information on the donor. They knew who he was, but we didn't. But the bank dug in their heels. They said Farnell couldn't speak to the donor in a deposition or get any records on him. One of their arguments was that we couldn't depose him because he was guaranteed anonymity. And the court agreed. 
the donor did have doctor-patient privilege and a right to privacy. With this, Farnell hit a significant wall. For us to prevail in the case and to go forward, first we had to know who he was so we could get to the truth of the matter. Farnell appealed, but the case was proving to be tougher than he expected. And that's because it was bigger than one donor. He was challenging the policies of an entire industry. From the start, anonymity has been a core tenant of the baby business. The industry emerged at a time when there was still a lot of embarrassment and shame around infertility. Parents were advised to never tell anyone about conceiving this way. And doctors were even encouraged to keep no records on the donor. Their concern was, oh, we've got to give privacy to the donors because otherwise we're not going to have donors. Sperm banks aren't just about medicine. They're about business. They sell a product, sperm, to customers, people like Brittany's parents. So how do you ensure you have enough product to satisfy demand? Well, you pay donors and say, rest easy, your secret and name are safe with us. This is the way the fertility industry has functioned for decades in the U.S. So it's not surprising that California Cryobank fought Fornell's request tooth and nail. They wanted to protect their business. But given the seriousness of Brittany's condition, remember, this six-year-old girl had cysts on her kidneys and blood in her urine? Farnell pleaded with the courts. He argued that Brittany's right to medical information superseded donor 276's right to privacy. There are reasons why privacy isn't protected. He said that the donor wasn't a patient, he was a vendor. He was getting paid to sell something. So he didn't have a right to doctor-patient confidentiality. And Fernell told the courts, this health information was critical. It could shape Brittany's treatment for years to come. I mean, it was a very, very painful situation to think that this innocent little girl, her whole life would be disrupted. The judge upheld the donor's anonymity. Farnell appealed again, but California Cryobank continued to fight back. They went to the appellate court several times to prevent us from getting a hold of him. The case dragged on and on through appeals, and the courts continued to side with California Cryobank. I should say here, California Cryobank declined to speak with me for this episode. So all of the facts about the case I'm telling you come from court records. But back to the story. Finally in 2001, several years after Brittany's parents walked into Farnell's office, there was a breakthrough. The California Court of Appeals ruled in favor of Brittany's parents. Farnell was granted the right to depose donor 276, to speak with him about his medical history and what he had told California Cryobank. Even the appellate courts found that it was a no-brainer. They found that he could be identified, although they ordered that his identity be kept as confidential as possible. After Farnell got his ruling to depose the donor, new facts about the case emerged. The most important piece of evidence was the initial interview form. (laughs) 
When Brittany first got her diagnosis and began treatment for PKD, her mother had reached out to California Cryobank to get some health information on the donor. This was before the lawsuit was filed, and the clinic said, okay, and sent over donor 276's records. But five years later, when the donor was finally deposed, California Cryobank shared those records again, this time with the court. Brittany's family and lawyers were stunned. This version of the donor's records was different. It contained information they had never seen before. And it was damning. Cryobank was told by the donor, 276, that he had kidney disease, that his aunt and his mother both had kidney disease. That's right. During donor 276's initial interview with the clinic, years before Brittany was born, he told two California cryobank physicians about his family health history. His mother had kidney disease, his sister had kidney disease, um, like his aunt had kidney, a bunch of people in his family, most of the women in his family were afflicted with kidney disease and had suffered you know, serious symptoms. On donor 276's initial application form, the section about his medical history had been marked in red pen by California Cryobank staff, indicating that they had concerns about his health history. But the files given to Brittany's mom years before the trial had been rewritten with the notations in red ink removed. To Brittany's legal team, this all pointed to a painful truth. California Cryobank had questions about the donor's health and his genetic potential for kidney disease. And they sold Britney's parents the sperm anyway. They screwed up and gave life to somebody with a disease that they basically built in. They should have never used 276. They made a ton of money from this guy. Is that why they decided not to tell anybody? California Cryobank wound up selling 320 vials of the donor's sperm. And the donor himself? Well, he was paid more than $11,000 for his specimens. There is a 50% chance that any child born from his donations will have PKD. After this all shook out, it's unclear if the Cryobank told families who bought the sperm about the risk. Some cryobanks disclose this kind of health info, but there's no law that says they have to, ever. I just remember being so angry for my parents because I couldn't believe that they had been deceived in such a monumental way. Donor 276 started working for California Cryobank back in 1986. At that time, the screening process was fairly basic a physical exam, semen analysis, blood tests for STDs and HIV, and an interview about family medical history. At this time, genetic testing was still in its infancy, so relying on a person's family medical history was key. And donor 276's family medical history should have been cause for concern. Finding out that the donor's family had such serious symptoms Made me fucking angry to read that. It might be unethical to withhold donor health information, but it's not illegal. 
So there was no criminal penalty for California Cryobank in this case because they didn't break the law. There is no law. Instead, Farnell was arguing this as a medical malpractice case. And with those cases in California... The maximum damage is 250000 But the Johnsons didn't even get that. The court wound up denying Brittany's family damages because they said this medical malpractice claim was actually a wrongful life claim, which, to be totally honest, I had never heard of before I started digging into the story. There's a, a legal concept that people can't sue for wrongful life. In other words, if the reason you were born was because somebody made a mistake, you can't say, oh, well, you made a mistake and so I want damages. Because the, the argument is, oh, you're lucky to be born. And it doesn't matter what your emotional distress is, how badly your life has been destroyed by their negligence. We're not going to give you anything because you're lucky to be here. Brittany may have been harmed when she inherited PKD, but the court found that she got a benefit as well, a big one. She was alive. If her parents hadn't used the sperm tainted with PKD, she wouldn't be here. The very thing that harmed her also gave her life. And because of that, she couldn't be awarded damages. Brittany's family lost the medical malpractice claim, but they did wind up settling with California Cryobank on the fraud and negligence claims. California Cryobank did not admit fault in the settlement. I feel so much for my, for my parents and for my mom, um, and I know how desperate she was to have children. And I feel like her desperation was preyed upon by people who are looking to make money, um, and that just breaks my heart. Coming up, where Brittany is now and what prospective parents should know about the state of anonymity and screening over two decades after Brittany's case. Stick around. After the case settled, Brittany went on with her life, but the disease stayed with her through her teen years and beyond. Brittany remembers a time in college when she was cramming for finals. She bent over and felt something hard on the right side of her stomach. If you know where the kidneys are, uh, you, you'll know immediately that that must be a very large cyst. Brittany wound up in the emergency room. They did a temporary relief for me, which involved sticking a very large needle in my back and draining the cyst. But when they started draining the cyst, because it was so large, it had actually pulled my kidney and surrounding organs and stuff down into my pelvis area. For the most part, Brittany is able to manage her condition today. She drinks a lot of water to make sure her renal system is functioning properly and flushing toxins from her body. I probably won't have to have a transplant, but knock on wood, you know, I, things can change. <laughs> For right now, it's looking like that's not going to happen. Brittany may not have received medical malpractice-related damages from California Cryobank, but her case did usher in something new. 
With Farnell's victory in deposing the donor, Brittany's case is the first to allow for a donor's anonymity to be breached in any way. And this was pretty monumental because it set a precedent around a donor's right to privacy and the potential limits of anonymity. In allowing the donor to be deposed, in obtaining the donor's application materials, the court signaled to the industry donors cannot expect a lifetime of unlimited anonymity or an absolute right to privacy. And that's something Brittany supports. When it comes down to it, I believe that the health of the child supersedes the donor's right to privacy. You know, if somebody is not willing to be candid with their healthcare information, then maybe they shouldn't be donating sperm to conceive children. Even though Brittany's case was such a big deal, the actual law around donor conception and screening hasn't changed a bit. In 2022, the only thing clinics and cryobanks are legally required to screen for are HIV and STDs. That's it. Clinics do voluntary screenings for genetic diseases, things like Tay-Sachs, sickle cell, and cystic fibrosis. But beyond that, many prospective parents need to put down cash for more comprehensive testing. But when it comes to a donor's health history, it's unclear how many cryobanks actually obtain previous health records or do family interviews to verify health histories. A lot of cryobanks operate this way. They only ask donors for their summaries of family health information. I feel that if people are paying that much money, they are entitled to some more reassurance about the genetics of their child because that's what they're paying for. They're, they're paying for a healthy child. Until pretty recently, most clinics have operated on the honor system, including California Cryobank. They didn't even start conducting comprehensive clinical psychological evaluations of donors until 2017. I have a lot of questions for California Cryobank. I reached out to them five times over email, and I left voicemails requesting an interview, but ultimately, they declined to talk to me. In the grand scheme of things, Brittany was lucky. She was able to get the information she needed about the donor's health, even if it did require a years-long court battle. Again, when it comes to the rest of donor 276's offspring, they might not have this information. Though she has to live with PKD, Brittany doesn't blame her donor. I actually feel like he did everything he was supposed to do. I know that obviously there's a financial incentive for sperm donors, but he was very honest with California Cryobank about what his family experienced and went through. I blame California Cryobank for taking that information and altering it um, and misrepresenting him. Do you ever hope to meet your donor? Would you ever want to? And if so, what would you say to him? <laughs> I wouldn't mind meeting him, but I will never seek him out. As far as I'm concerned, my dad who raised me is my father. About 10 years ago, Brittany needed to get some health information, 
So she did a 23andMe test, and she got a surprise. I logged back on um, five years ago and noticed that I had a new match, and it was someone who was supposedly my half-sister. Not only that, but she had reached out to me. She sent me a message, just really simple. It just said, hey, it looks like we're half-siblings or half-sisters with a, a smiley face. A lot of people go through this moment, this point in time when a random message comes in through a DNA testing website and reveals a relative who was previously unknown. For Brittany, this was a big deal. She agonized about what to say back to this woman, her half-sister. I wrote so many responses to her, um, but nothing ever felt right. Um, and <laughs> I finally was just like, well, it, do- it doesn't have to be that. It, you know, I'm just going to reach out to this person and tell her, like, hey, yeah, like, looks like we're half-sisters. And when I went back on there, um, she's, she's not on the platform anymore. So if my half-sister is out there listening to this, (laughs) please know that I feel immense guilt for passing up the opportunity to connect with you. And if I ever get the chance again, I promise you I will take it because I, I have regretted it ever since. And I appreciate you reaching out to me. I just got overwhelmed and I didn't know what to say. When I first came across Brittany's story, I was shocked by it. I couldn't believe that California Cryobank, the gold standard of sperm banking, would go to such lengths to protect a donor's anonymity. But as I dug into all the legal issues, I also started thinking about the other side of this whole thing, the rights of sperm and egg donors. Many of these people did sign up to be anonymous. They were promised that. What if they want to stay anonymous? The decision you made to track me down, like the Golden State Killer, will affect me for the rest of my life. How dare you? How dare you? What is wrong with you? That's next time on Biohacked Family Secrets. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.
Biohacked Family Secrets is produced by 3 Uncanny 4 and Sony Music Entertainment. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. Our program is edited by Maureen McMurray. Our producers are Nick Mott, Jennifer Siegel, Shane McKeon, Krista Ripple, and Rahima Nasa. Jenny Kim is our production manager, and Alicia Baitoup composed the theme. Our fact checkers are Will Tavlin and Ava Ahmed Behi. This episode was mixed by Joanna Catcher at Nice Manners. Special thanks to Laura Mayer, Nuna Sharafadine, Amy Eason, Jennifer Womack, and Allison Sherry. Have a question or comment about this week's show? Send me a tweet at TJ Raphael or email us at biohacked at 3uncanny4.com. For 3uncanny4 and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm TJ Raphael. <laughs>